0: Welcome, ladies, to our online Bible study. So far, we have gone through the introduction where we learned about the man, A.W. Tozer, and how the writing of this wonderful book came to be. Last week, we did the first chapter on following hard after God. We learned how to know God experientially and how to worship Him Alone for him and not for what he does for us. Now this week we are going through chapter 2 which is the blessedness of possessing nothing. Now I want you to turn into your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 1 starts off And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Now we see here in this first verse that here the multitudes continually flock to Jesus. And when he went up on a mountain and sat down, well, it was custom for the rabbis to sit as they taught. Then his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. We see In Matthew 5-7 through That this is known as the Sermon on the Mount On the sermon that Jesus starts off He starts off with the Beatitudes Which are statements beginning with Blessed are Now blessed means happy or fortunate Speaking of being fortunate My husband and I had the privilege Of being where they think this sermon was taught And our Jewish guides read the Beatitudes here in Hebrew and English. I just have a small clip that while we were there um, and they were speaking this, that we went ahead and recorded it. So I thought you'd be interested in to hear it. So please listen. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the Now it was so fascinating to sit here at the Church of Beatitudes in Israel and hear them speak these very words that Christ spoke on this sermon overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It was such a life-changing experience. Now here as we look at Matthew 5 verse 3 it says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now as we know Pharisees were concerned primarily with external qualities but the qualities that Jesus mentions here in the Beatitudes where you have the poor in spirit those who mourn the meek all of these are more internal Qualities. They come when we place our complete trust in God. Now, John Walbert's commentary stated, "The sermon showed how a person who is in right relationship with God should conduct his life." So, the sermon that was spoke there that Jesus spoke not only applied to the followers that were there but they also apply to us today for it demonstrates the standard of righteousness God demands of his people so the poor in spirit here in Matthew 5.3 are those who consciously depend on God and not on themselves they are poor inwardly having no ability to in and of themselves to please God so you can see how Tozer's interpretation of Matthew 5-3 applies he says the poor in spirit consider that nothing they have comes before God in importance to them God is more important than their things in fact they do not consider their things to be theirs at all but God's now this is a very difficult concept to understand to have and yet you don't possess it it's even more difficult to apply it you can say oh I have turned everything over to the Lord and he controls my life and my things it is very easy to say isn't it But, do you really practice it? If we hold back anything, then we are still in control. If we say, okay God, you can have 95% of my life over here, but I'm going to hang on to this 5% over here. I, I think I need to be in control of it. What we are actually saying is that we are still the one who decides what to give and what not to give. And so we become the controller. God wants us to give everything to him and possess nothing. I have a clip here from Pastor Paul Shepherd. I don't know how many of you know of him, but he is a pastor in Palo Alto that my husband and I listen to on Christian radio on the Internet. In this clip, Pastor Shepherd talks about our attitude as we surrender. Please listen to this. You ever say, okay, Lord, I see that this is your will for this area of my life, and you're doing it, but you're doing it with attitude. That's not surrender.
1: Surrender is,
0: not only am I saying yes, but I have no more fight, no more resistance. Your will is the only thing that matters in my life. I want to see what you'll do if I will just yield to you and trust you. Let's just see what God will do if we totally surrender and yield to him. Ladies, sin has introduced complications and has made those very gifts that God has given us a potential source of ruin to our soul. Tozer said, our woes began when within the human heart, Things were allowed to enter and have taken over and God was forced out. We end up worshiping the gifts that God has given us rather than worshiping the giver of the gifts. Hayden Robinson said, to live to pursue riches and success is foolish for these things are not eternal obsessions with worldly priorities keeps us from hearing what Jesus has to say let's look at Luke chapter 12 verse 34 it says for where your treasure is there your heart will be also what is important in your life What do you find absorbs your time? Is it the gifts that God has given or God himself? In Luke 12 verse 15 it says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Ladies, no matter what it is in your life, we all need to take an account and examine what it is in our lives that we find ourselves thinking about. If God is excluded, then this is where it becomes a problem. I like how Tozer put it. He said, the roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet Lest we die. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God. When I think of roots, I think about a plant that my husband and I planted in our backyard. Now, we needed a plant that would grow on a slope to prevent soil erosion. Well, we had this area that this plant was not doing very good and it started to look a little straggly, so we went to take it out and put something else in in its place. When we went to remove this plant, you would not believe the root system. We literally had to get a jackhammer to dig the roots out. That is the vision that I get when I think about how the roots are digging into our heart when you think about those roots that plant was not there very long but yet they were so, so deep and so grounded in that ground that it took a jackhammer to get them out I can only imagine how painful to rip these roots out will be in our heart our Lord referred to this tyranny of things when he said to his disciples in Matthew sixteen, twenty-four 24-26. says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This scripture, as well as in Mark 8.34, talks about denying himself. We must deny ourselves decisively. Now, Denying here is in the aorist imperative in the Greek, saying no to selfish interests in earthly securities. Self-denial is not to deny one's personality, to die as a martyr, or to deny things. Rather, it is the denial of self turning away from the idolatry of self centeredness in every attempt to orient one's life by the dictates of self interest so here we show the self denial well the verse continues and it says we must take up our cross decisively take up also is an heiress imperative saying yes to God's will and way now cross bearing was not an established Jewish metaphor but the figure was appropriate in Roman occupied Palestine it brought to mind the sight of a condemned man who was forced to demonstrate his submission to Rome by carrying part of his cross through the city to his place of execution thus to take up one's cross was to demonstrate publicly one's submission or obedience to the authority against which he had previously rebelled Jesus' submission to God's will is the proper response to God's claims over self's claims For him, it meant death on the cross. Those who follow him must take up their cross, not his. Whatever comes to them in God's will as a follower of Jesus. This does not mean suffering as he did or being crucified as he was. Nor does it mean stoically bearing life's troubles. Rather, it is obedience to God's will as revealed in his word accepting the consequences without reservation for Jesus' sake and the gospel then we go on in the verse and it says in Jesus' words it says follow me follow now here is a present imperative it's saying so let him keep following me Saying no to self and yes to God is to continue all through one's following of Christ. Tozer said, The blessed ones who possess the kingdom are they who repudiated every external thing in having rooted from their hearts all sense of possessing. These blessed poor are no longer slaves to the tyranny of things they have broken the yoke of the oppressor and this they have done not by fighting but by surrendering though free from all senses of possessing yet possess all things theirs is the kingdom of heaven ladies this is a process it does not come easy we need to rip the roots of those things out of our hearts and make sure that we are not worshipping the gifts but worshipping the giver we need to face the fact that it will be painful just as we need to face the fact that Jesus Christ suffered a pain that is beyond anything that we will ever suffer in order that we could have eternal life Dealing with sin causes pain. But after the pain is a glorious peace and a joy that comes beyond our understanding. Think about childbirth. Now, I personally have not had children myself, but I have heard that childbirth is very painful. And I am sure that a lot of you women can affirm to that. But, would you trade that pain that you experienced for that little bundle of joy that you have in your arms through the pain came a glorious ray of sunshine Tozer said let me exhort you to take this seriously it is not to be understood as mere Bible teaching to be stored away in the mind along with an inherent mass of doctrines It is a marker on the road to greener pastures. A path chiseled against the steep sides on the mount of God. We dare not try to bypass it if we would follow on this holy pursuit. We must ascend, ladies, a step at a time. If we refuse one step We bring our progress to an end. We must ascend a step at a time. Remember, it is not in our power that we can do this. It is only through the power of Jesus Christ. He is our strength and we need to ask him to help us in our pursuit. In Genesis chapter 22 verses 1 to 18 we see the story of Abraham and Isaac now this is a dramatic picture of the surrendered life as well as an excellent commentary to the first beatitude while we often look at this passage as Abraham's test of faith Tozer uses it to stress his point about placing God first in one's life Abraham from the day Isaac was born adored him Isaac was more than just a son he represented God's promises the covenants the hopes and the years of a long messianic dream with every growing day Abraham's love for his son grew until a point that God had to step in and say do you love Isaac Isaac More than you do me? Let's look at chapter 22 in verses 1 to 2. It says, Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now we are spared the agony that Abraham must have felt. We can only imagine the questions that he must have had. How should I slay my son? How could he reconcile the act with the promise in Isaac shall thou seed be called you can just imagine his heart breaking at the very thought of killing his son the story continues as we look at verses 7 through 8 but Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said my father and he said here I am my son then he said look the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for the burnt offering and Abraham said my son God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering so the two of them went together just imagine looking at your son knowing that he was to be the sacrifice That must have seemed like the longest walk of his life. Abraham trusted God. He would offer his son as God had directed him to do. And then trust God to raise him from the dead. He knew what Isaac meant to the covenant and the promises. The story continues in verse 9. We'll read from 9-13 to And we see how Abraham was obedient And how God supplied an offering It says starting verse 9 Then they came to the place of which God had told him And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood And Abraham stretched out his hand And took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from me then Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns so Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son now Abraham was a man holy surrendered a man utterly obedient a man who possessed nothing yet was this poor man not rich everything he had owned before was his still to enjoy he had his sheep his camels herds and goods of every sort he had also his wife and his friends and best of all He had his son Isaac safe by his side. He had everything, but yet he possessed nothing. There is the spiritual secret. After that bitter and blessed experience, I think the words my and mine never again had the same meaning for Abraham. Abraham knew that he owned nothing. That his real treasures were inward and eternal. But this experience did not just affect Abraham. Ever think about Isaac and how he felt? As Isaac grew older, what do you suppose He would have replied to anyone who suggested that his father's God was not real, not alive. Do not tell me that God is not a living God, I suspect he would have replied. Do not tell me my father's God is not real. I remember well the day I was on the altar. I know very well the faith of my father Abraham I live today because God lives and cares. I am aware that I am known personally to him. Abraham and Isaac both learned the lesson of clinging to each other instead of God. We don't always see how clinging onto things could be harmful. But as we saw with Isaac, by letting him go and surrendering him to the Lord, not only did Abraham's faith grow, but so did Isaac's. We hold on to things, thinking they are safe with us. And sometimes we don't even realize that we are holding on to them. Tozer had an experience that was similar to Abraham and Isaac's. In 1939, A.W. Tozer's wife, Ada, gave birth to a girl, Rebecca. After six rambunctious boys and a nine-year hiatus, in their middle years, the Tozers joyfully welcomed Becky into their home and hearts. Years later, in a sermon, Tozer reflected on that momentous event. He said, She was a lovely little thing. After raising six boys, it was just like trying to bring up a herd of buffaloes. This refined, feminine little lady came along with all her pretty, frilly things. She and I became sweethearts. From the very first day, I saw her little red face through the glass in the hospital Tozer was 42 years old when little Rebecca was born. Tozer went on to tell how they dedicated Becky to the Lord. He said, we dedicated her formally in the church service, but she was still mine. Then the day came when I had to die to my Becky, my little Rebecca. I had to give her up and turn her over to God to take if he wanted her at any time. When I made that awful, terrible dedication, I didn't know that God would take her from me, but he didn't. She was safer after I gave her up than she had ever been before. If I had clung to her, I would have jeopardized her. But when I opened my hands and saw and said that with tears you can have her God the dearest thing I have she became perfectly safe one of the hardest things to surrender in our lives ladies is our loved ones we love them so much that sometimes we hold on to them so hard when I first read this chapter years ago, I too sat down in my bedroom and said a prayer, surrendering my husband to the Lord. I had developed such a strong love for him that I cherished him more than God. He was my life. I praised God for him every day. But there came a point when I had to say, Lord, I give my husband to you, he is your child to do with what you please, and so am I. I had to consciously make God number one in my life, up and beyond anything else in my life. He was to be the Lord of my life. As with Abraham and Tozer, the Lord blessed me. He did not take my husband away from me. But made him and made our relationship even more beautiful and more sweeter. Ladies, we have to surrender everything to God. And we have to remember that he is our loving father. And when we commit everything to him, it will be safer than if we had kept it ourselves. Our gifts and our talents should also be turned over to him. They should be recognized for what they are. That is God's loan to us. And should never be considered in any sense our own. We need to watch what we do with these. That we do not get prideful and claim our talents as our own. God gave them to us. He gave us the ability to do what we do. It is not our ability that we have these talents God gave them to us. There are going to be some things we may find very difficult to surrender. There are going to be things that we are surprised to find out that we have not surrendered. But we must, in our hearts, live through Abraham's harsh and bitter experiences if we are going to experience God's blessedness which follows them. I have another small clip um, from Pastor Paul Shepherd on his uh, message to surrender. And I'd like you to listen to this. A sacrifice is laying there totally submitted to what God's going to do. And listen, Paul picks that up and he says God wants you to have that level of surrender to him. He wants you to surrender to yield your life as a living sacrifice so that God can do anything in your life He wants to do. We need to surrender our life to God so that He can do anything in our life that He wants to do. The things that are deeply rooted in our hearts must be ripped out it may be painful and hard but in the end you will find peace that is beyond our understanding if we are truly set to pursue a deep relationship with God we will be tested he will reveal the things in our lives that have deep roots in our hearts we will need to do some excavating to allow God to have His proper place in our hearts. In our homework, we were asked to read Matthew 1916 to thirty and relate this passage to the theme of our study. What I want you to do is look at verses 20 to 21 just for now. It says, "The young man said to him, "All these things I have kept." from my youth what do I still lack and Jesus said to him I want actually Jesus said to him if you want to be perfect go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me by Christ asking this young man to sell his goods and follow him He was forcing him to examine his own heart and determine his priorities. With all of his commendable qualities, the young man still did not truly love God with all of his heart. Possessions were his God. He was unable to obey the command, go and sell and come follow me we need to examine our hearts and ask are our possessions whether they are things or loved ones more important to us than God if God asked us to sell everything would we be able to do it or would we be like this young man who chose his things over God now that is not to say that we are to go and sell everything that we have but God does use the things in our lives to help provide for our needs for example God gives us jobs to provide for our families right? but are we counting on that job to supply our needs or are we counting on Christ to supply our needs who gave us the job So we need to be careful that we don't take it too far and go to the extreme, to the opposite direction. Yes, God wants us to examine our hearts and not take on the full things of our lives. But I'm reminded of a story that my husband used to say. It goes like this. There was this man who was drowning in the river, and he trusted God to save him a boat came up to help him and he refused their help saying God is going to save me as the man was still floating in the river barely keeping his head above the water another boat came and threw him a life jacket the man again refused the help saying nope God is going to save me finally the man could not stay above water any longer and he drowned when he got to heaven He said to God, Lord, why didn't you save me? God replied, I sent you two boats and a life jacket and you refused them. The point is, is that God uses things to provide for us. So we need to make sure that we don't refuse what God is sending to provide for our needs. Things in and of themselves are not bad. It is what we do with them that makes them bad do we worship the gifts and rely on the gifts more than God who gave them to us Matthew 6 24 says that we cannot serve two masters we were also asked to look at verses in Mark and then there was three passages in Luke that we were to look at now we're not going to go through All of these verses, we don't have the time to look at them each, but I'm sure that you looked at them in your homework. To sum it up, each of these verses reminds us that we need to surrender all to God. Many people spend all of their energy seeking pleasure. Jesus said, however, that a world of pleasure centered on possessions, position, or power is ultimately worthless whatever a person has on earth is only temporary it cannot be exchanged for his or her soul if you work hard at getting what you want you might eventually have a pleasurable life but in the end you will find it hollow and empty nothing is enough value that it can be exchanged for one's soul even if a person gained the world that person would lose his or her soul and the soul counts for eternity there is no amount of money no power or status that can buy back a lost soul believers must be willing to To make the pursuit of God more important than the selfish pursuit of pleasure. If we follow Jesus, we will know what it means to live abundantly now and to have eternal life as well. So in closing, we need to examine our lives. I like the quote, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Ladies, do the things in your life control you? Or have you surrendered them to God? When Christ comes, will He find you faithful to Him or dwelling on the things in your life? We only have one life, and only what is done for Christ will last let's not waste it I would like you at this point to take out your book and turn to page 30 and read Tozer's prayer if you don't have your book I do have it listed on the screen I want you as you read this to really concentrate on the words and may this be our prayer it says Father I want to know Thee, but my cowardly heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from Thee the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come, please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long, and which have become a very part of my living self, so that thou mayest enter and dwell there without a rival. Then shalt thou make the place of thy feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for thyself wilt be the light of it. And there shall be no night there. In Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies, as we conclude today, I pray that you will look at the things in your life and that you will see what things God wants you to dig out the roots and do some excavating. As we conclude, we're going to be studying next week our third chapter. And I look forward to being with you next week. God bless.